You know how in life you, you kind of go through these different time periods, seasons, moments. And some of them are good. Some of them are, I don't know, neutral. You don't really care one way or another. You just happen to be in a holding pattern. Some of them are just not so much fun. And uh, I find that uh, I'm in a place now where some of them just, just aren't a whole lot of fun. We're going through some transitions with uh, my parents and, and that sort of thing. And um, I find myself, oh, hey, Lizzie, glad you can come back. Welcome back. Good to see you. Glad you could make it. <laughs> yeah, she'll never talk to me again. I'll miss you. Um, and I find that as we're going through these seasons, uh, this particular season for me has been a, a really a time of reflection. And, and some of the things, you know, my parents are getting ready to move out of their house um, that they built when I was a teenager. And so uh, they're moving from, a, you know, a house to an apartment. And so I'm, I'm taking ownership of some of the family belongings. And I, I have found that um, I, I, uh, I'm getting all these slides. Okay, back in the old days, uh, when you took when you took pictures, you didn't see them right away. You had to take them someplace, and then you had to go get them. And sometimes they were pictures, but sometimes they were slides. And and so you'd have to set up a machine to show them. It was like a it was like an old version of PowerPoint is really what it was. And um, and it's really a hassle to go through these things because there's 36 pictures in each of these little packages. And so I have this little viewer that uh, my dad bought. Um, back before a majority of you were born. And so you put them in there, and then you realize they're upside down. you got to put them back in. And so I'm seeing all these pictures. And so you know, it's kind of a bittersweet thing, because I'm going through these, these slides. And apparently, my parents only took pictures between the years of 1970 and 1974. There are no pictures before that, and there are no pictures after that. And it's funny. My parents um, divorced when I was in second grade, and I'm seeing all these things I have no recollection of. You know, like we were on a family trip to, like, this farm. I, I don't remember doing anything as a family. Uh, so it's nice. I have proof now. Something actually happened. Um, but picture, if you will, 1972. It was in color. So if you're picturing it in black and white, that's not true. It was actually in color. And, um, you know, uh, Nixon was about to head into some hot water, and we're pulling out of Vietnam, and, and we're being transferred from Washington State to Wisconsin. And if you're a fantry, what you know is that you can't just take a direct trip from Washington State to Wisconsin where you've got to move because you've got to go to New Jersey. For whatever reason, you, you have to go all the way to New Jersey first. All roads lead to New Jersey and then to where you're going to go. So we packed up the house. We sold our house in Washington State, and we got into a van, and we moved to Wisconsin via New Jersey. Now, you need to understand it was a full-size passenger van, about the size of the Phillips van, and into that van, we loaded up my parents, three dogs, four children ages 12 to 4, and my grandmother. And we drove, we did this tour of the West. We went through Yellowstone and Jackson Hole and, and, and Glacier National Park and Cody National Park and and, and then we drove to New Jersey, and then we drove to Wisconsin. And I, that's a lot of stuff to put into a van and spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week with each other. We were gone for a month. 
And I don't know if you've ever been that close to that many people for that long a time. I, uh, it was, I was, it was not fun. I mean, we had some, I mean, we had some dog issues um, that involved my brother and my dog Arthur. Um, we had some, some, some in-law issues between my mother and my grandmother, and uh, we, you know, I, do you, for those of you that have ever traveled cross country or anywhere long periods of time with your children. Um, you know, he's breathing my air, he's looking out my window, he's touching me, he, he won't stop touching me. Uh, or my mom, oh my gosh, nothing sets my mother off like kids having a good time. I don't know why that is, but if you laugh too hard in the car, you will get pulled over and you will be made sure that you don't laugh anymore. Um, and so we couldn't have a good time. We had, But now that I'm going through these things, as awful as it was at the time, I'm reliving these memories and having a great time. My One of my favorite childhood memories was from Jackson Hole when we were when we were going through and coming out here. One of my most vivid childhood memories, one of my favorite memories of all time. Um, this past summer, uh, Lynn Marie Collin and I, we went to Wyoming and uh, we saw the sign to go to Devil's Tower and that made me laugh because when we were when we were traveling across, see this isn't funny, well it is to me, but we were traveling cross country, we went to we went to go see Devil's Tower and my mom said, oh we should probably stop for gas. My dad said, oh, I'm sure we have enough. <laughs> and that was not true. And so on our way to Devil's Tower, um, our car ran out of gas. And, uh, and so it, the storm came, and it was rain and hail. And there's a lot of oil fields in Wyoming. And, and this, uh, this guy, rancher, uh, came, and he was wearing a helmet, a hard hat. And he said, oh, I've got gas in the back of my trunk. And he filled up uh, our van. The problem was my dad had to go out there and help him. And he, on the other hand, did not have a hard hat on when the hail started to fall. And so there's, you know, four kids, three dogs, two other adults other than my dad in the car watching my father go from the passenger driver's side back to help this man out. And you can just see, you can see the hailstones just bouncing off of his head. And my dad gets back in the car. We're laughing. We're crying. That was the funniest thing we'd ever seen. And um, the memory in these slides was uh, a rainbow. You know, in these slides, we have a picture of a rainbow over Devil's Tower. I'm pretty sure that's not how my dad remembers it. Um, but, you know, you spend a lot of time with someone, and you get trapped in a room with someone, or in our case, a, a GMC van, and you, you start to, to lose perspective. You start to lose who they are, and you just, you just everything becomes an irritation. Everything becomes a problem. You know, for my mother, every, every bit of childhood laughter becomes a, a, a nail in the back of your neck. Or, you know, every time the dogs bark, it, it's just everything just, just kind of stinks, and it's bad, and it's heavy, and it's awful. Until you get a different perspective. And sadly, sometimes, that's how our relationship with Christ feels. Right? We get very close. We spend a lot of time here. We spend a lot of time with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We spend time in prayer. We spend time, and sometimes it just becomes drudgery. You know? And what do you do with that? How do you prevent that? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to be here, um, to, to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I thank you for, for putting me in such a, a wonderful family um, with such wonderful people, Lord. We do love you. Please bless this time. Help me to, to speak the words that you once spoken, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. My favorite quote from Mark Twain is, Familiarity breeds contempt and children. I love that quote. I don't know when he made that quote, but he died a long time ago. But oddly enough, 
in, uh, in uh, 2007 in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology for the American Psychological Association, volume 92, page 97. I'm not used to citing stuff. Did I do that right, Dr. Spousey? Was that okay? Okay. It says, the present research shows that although people believe that learning more about others leads to greater liking, more information about others leads, on average, to less liking. Thus, ambiguity, lacking information about another, leads to liking, whereas familiarity, acquiring more information, can breed contempt. This less is more effect is due to the cascading nature of dissimilarity. Once evidence of dissimilarity is encountered, subsequent information is more likely to be interpreted as further evidence of dissimilarity, leading to decreased liking. The authors document the negative relationship between knowledge and liking in laboratory studies and with pre- and post-date data from online daters, while showing the uh, mediating role of dissimilarity, a.k.a. Facebook. Sometimes someone I work with will say, hey, I'm going to friend you on Facebook. And I have yet to learn to say no. I need to learn to say no. I don't put stuff on Facebook because it's Facebook. Anybody who's been on Facebook understands what I'm saying. If you've not been on Facebook, stay away. It's evil. No, I, but sometimes someone will put something on Facebook and I have to work with them tomorrow. Right? You learn stuff about people and it's, sometimes it's shocking and it's surprising and um, some, I found that as relationships, you know, you, you form these relationships online and at work, I'm in, put into a situation where this person may have applied for a promotion and I may or may not have to hire them, and yet I know so much about the personal life. And it scares me. And so the more we know of a person, the less we like them, because we see them as they are. Our, expect, our expectations of who they are aren't met. You know, you first meet someone, you, 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 you find things of common interest, you, you, you find things that are the same, and the more you get to know them, you find how dissimilar you are. And ultimately, you find that that's more of a fly in the ointment than it is to a, a, a good foundation to build a relationship. Sometimes, we're too close to see someone or something as they really are, right? That happens with family. We get lost in the day-to-day, and we focus on the things that irritate us. I will tell you that I used to be much more angry at my siblings growing up than I am now. I love my, I love my siblings. I do. Uh, we have a good time whenever we're together. And yes, we all laugh very similarly. So, so you can see where it would irritate my mother when we laughed, right? <laughs> but the more time we spend apart, the less those little things really matter, you know? The, the, the less my sister chewing, oh my gosh, my sister. I've never met a human being that ate more slowly than my sister. And I, I mean, look at me. The whole point of having food on a plate is to get it in my belly. You know, you, you could almost hear the whoosh of my fork as it goes from my plate to my mouth, right? Because of the speed on which it goes there. My sister, hours, hours at the table. And it used to drive me up a tree. My sister lives in a totally different time-space continuum thing. I, it's, ah, oh, see, it still bothers me. But I don't have to see her eat anymore, so it doesn't bother me so much. 
But you know, that was true for Jesus, though, right? Did you know that? Matthew 13, verse 54. It says, Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all, of, all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown and his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. They knew Jesus when he was growing up. They knew his family. And so here comes this man full of wisdom and, and, and knowledge and the ability to heal. And they're offended. They're offended. I know him. Who is he to tell me this? And sometimes that exact same thing happens to us, right? We have this relationship with Jesus and we get so close. And we become complacent, we become weary, we become angry, we become disillusioned. And so we miss out. So why does it happen in our relationship with Jesus? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, it says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. And at other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. Sometimes we just get tired of the fight. We just get tired. It becomes too much. Or feels as though it becomes too much. And we give in to that feeling of, of, of drudgery and weariness. You know, I, I don't... <laughs> when, I was, when I was younger, I, I've never... <laughs> Pastor Jim can attest to this. I've never been a guy with lots of energy. I've never been a guy with lots of energy. I, I've, I've always been a guy that's always been just like this close to a nap my whole life. But the older that I get, the more tired I become, and the harder this fight becomes. It's just you wake up some days, it's like, ah, I don't want to do it anymore. Somebody else's turn. You know, you feel like you're in a relay, and instead of handing off the baton to somebody else, you want to throw it at somebody's head. You do it! And it happens. It happens. It happens to a lot of us. In 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1, it says, Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. And then in Colossians 2, verse 18, it says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, And his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. We get into our heads that we know. And I've been around the block a few times, and I've seen it, right? People get into their heads that they know enough. 
or they know more than someone else about God, about how Christianity is, is supposed to work or how, how God works or how, how much Jesus did or what Jesus did or what Jesus said and how to apply it. And, and, and pride sinks in, right? We always have to keep in mind that our, our, our contest is not a comparison of others. It's a contest of ourselves, right? I, I compare myself to me. I, I don't compare myself to you. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of you compare yourselves to, to me because it makes you feel better, right? I got more hair than he is. I'm thinner. No. Um, <laughs> but it's all about comparing yourself to yourself, right? Do you know more about God today? Are you better, to, are you better able to apply scriptures today than you were yesterday? Are you continuing to grow in your knowledge of God? And maybe you have a tremendous amount, right? And so you, you get tired. It's like, ah, it's enough. Ah, I'm fine. And you hang up the Bible. You stop coming to church. You do other things because you've, you feel like you've, you've done enough. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared. All these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Sometimes our expectations go unmet. Realistically, we have expectations of God. We have a, a preconceived notion of what God's kingdom is supposed to be like here on earth. We had an inaccurate understanding of what Jesus expects of us. So when we realize how hard it is, we're done. We have false expectations, and when these expectations don't get met, we call it quits. And that's an interesting thing, because sometimes that's how we treat people, right? That's how we treat things. That's how we treat our jobs. The difference with this is, though, it's our understanding that's wrong. God's not wrong, right? Because God is perfect. God is holy. God is love. God is, is, is a lot of things. He is our provider. He's our banner. He's who we rally to. So when our expectations don't get met, we get offended at God, who is perfect. So who's wrong? God or our expectations? Sometimes we stop coming to church. You know, we tell ourselves that we can worship God outside of church. I can stay at home and learn about God. Yes, that is absolutely true. But you will be outside the will of God. You and I are commanded to come together. We are commanded to come together. And it's not just for your benefit, though there is certainly that. It is for the benefit of the people around you. You bring something here that somebody else doesn't bring. 
We interact as a family, as a body, as a unit. And without you, there is no us. Without you bringing what you bring to the table, we are incomplete. You can't taste the flavor of something unless you put it into the meal. Right? Have you ever ate something that you just know something is missing? That's what happens with us when you're not here. Something's not right. Something's missing. Something's not quite right. So how do you stop this from happening? How do you stop from becoming so familiar with Christ that you don't don't want to spend time with him anymore? All of us will go through it at one time or another. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Understand. Set your expectations. It's hard. What we do is hard. If it wasn't, everybody would be doing it. But you are not alone. I know sometimes it feels like you're alone, but you're not. You are not. Jesus went before you. And because of the joy that was coming, he endured the pain and suffering for the cross so that we can have relationship, so that you and I can have eternal life. He suffered more than we have. He suffered more than you will. And you are never alone. When we entered this relationship with him, he doesn't walk away from it. He is always there. I don't feel it. I don't care. (laughs) You don't have to feel it. I don't feel oxygen. I know it's there. You don't feel Jesus. He's still there. And know that you and I are not going to be placed into situations that are too much. Because he's there with us. And you and I One of the reasons why we're together in a body is so that you and I can walk through this together. So you can have a physical person with you as well. So you can take your experiences and apply it to somebody else within the body of Christ. You are not alone. Philippians Philippians 1 verse 4, it says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. 
In order to avoid the contemptuous relationship that evolves over time, you must share your faith. It says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. You don't truly understand what you have until you can explain it to somebody else. In order to get it from your head to your heart, you must be able to explain it. You must think it out. You must think it through. And when you talk about it, it reminds you. It reminds us of what we have. I telecommute when I go to work. This past week, I got to go to Florida uh, to our office in St. Petersburg. And I almost didn't come back because it was 71 degrees. I don't know how people go to Florida and come back. There was this lizard when I left, 71 degrees. This lizard was splayed out on the sidewalk soaking up the sun and getting all warm. And all I could think was, that's what I want to do. I want to be like that lizard. But I got on my plane and I came here. Normally, for eight and a half years now, I've worked by myself in my basement. Just me, my computer, my phone. Go to meetings a lot. I don't know what people look like. They don't know what I look like. They don't know who I am. I don't know who they are. I've talked to them a lot. But you talk about stuff, you know, pre-meeting, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, you, you you form these relationships with your coworkers, the people that you work really, you know, day in and day out with. And so you, you, talk, you talk about stuff, right? They don't know what I look like. But I'm willing to bet that if they ever meet my wife, Lynn Marie, they will know what she looks like. Because I describe her to them all the time. How pretty she is. How wonderful she is. How incredibly patient she is. I mean, how could she not be? She's married to me. No. I talk about the things that, that she's done in our marriage, how we met, you know, how we, um, how I proposed, you know, the things that we've gone through, through, through life, some of the difficulties, the, the blessings of being married for, for 22 years and how our relationship has grown and how we're closer now and how I love her more now than when we first met because I know her better and, and have seen her go through all these things and seen her grow. And the more I talk about it, the more of a reality it becomes. The same thing is true with your relationship with Christ. The more you talk about it, the more the reality of who he is and what he's done and what he means to you sets in. So certainly you share your faith to introduce someone, some stranger to their Savior and, and, and you know, bring them into the kingdom of God. But I will tell you that sharing your faith will keep you from becoming contemptuous in your relationship with Christ. Because the more you talk about it, the more the reality will set in. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9, it says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a, a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And in Ephesians 3, verse 16, it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You and I need to recognize that we will never fully understand the majesty of God as long as we are here. There is always more to know. There is always another step to take. This is a continuous adventure until we go to be with him. Until, until we give up this flesh and we go to heaven, there is always more to experience of God here on earth. And you need to recognize that so when, when it becomes drudgery, when you think that you've made it to that X marks the spot and you can coast, that is a lie of the devil. Sorry, you don't get to coast. You have to keep pedaling. Because there's more to experience. There's more to know. There's more to marvel at. And never forget that you, individually, are loved by God. Who you are. He chose you. He gave you purpose. We need to talk about this for a second, because you need to understand that the love he has for you is not the love that the world teaches us about. I think one of the greatest detriments to relationships is the, is the advent of the romantic comedy. Because it teaches us that we fall in and out of love. That love isn't, a, isn't any more than a, an emotional attachment that we get to something. And it's usually, it's usually an emotional attachment because of something that someone brings into our life. Right? Scripture teaches us that love is focused outward as a commitment. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's a decision that you put somebody else's needs in front of your own. That you care more about somebody else's needs than you do your own. Case in point, Jesus. Scripture tells us God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That wasn't an emotional response to his creation. It was a conscious choice. Jesus knew exactly what was going to occur when he was crucified. He knew exactly what was going to happen beforehand with the scourging and with the hanging on the cross. But he loved us enough to put our needs above his own. And that's the kind of love that God has for us. It's not an emotional attachment. It's a commitment to take care of your needs and your well-being. That's the kind of love that he has. It doesn't fade. It doesn't go away. He's made a conscious choice to love you as an individual. Yes, he loves us as a group. But he loves you specifically. In Luke 10, verse 25, it says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. 
last few weeks, Pastor Jim has been talking about the fear of the Lord being the foundation of, of, of our relationship with God. Reverent awe, not terror, reverent awe. An understanding of, of who he is in relation to us and how great he is in relation to us. And that is truly the foundation of what we do. The next step in that foundation is love. We talked about God loving you as an individual and what that means and putting your needs, making sure your needs are met. The commitment that he's made to you in love. In order for us to avoid this contemptuous relationship that can occur over time with God is we must love him in return. And again, not as the world loves. I don't love God because of what he does. I don't love God because of what he brings to the relationship. I love God. Therefore, I have made a commitment to put his desires before my own. I have made a decision. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a commitment. When Lynn Marie and I were dating a long time ago, <laughs> we were driving home from Chicago, and I told her that I loved her. Because, you know, it's a romantic time. You're on the freeway. What else are you going to talk about? But I told her in that moment what that meant to me. I just said, you know, I, I love you. Because that's how I talk. I love you. <laughs> Sound a lot like Sylvester Stallone. But I explained to her that when I told her that, I was making a commitment to her, to her needs, putting her life before mine, sacrificing myself for her. That regardless of what it would take, I would put her needs before my own. Do I do that 100% of the time? <laughs> no. But I will tell you that I try. And when I remember and where I see that I'm failing, I pick it up again and try again. Your relationship with your God needs to be that real as the relationship that you see or that you have with the people around you. And sometimes it can get lost in the fact that God is way over here and I'm way here and you get so wrapped up into your life and what you're doing that you forget that the commitment that you made is a, is a, is a heart, steadfast, lifelong commitment. But the great thing about our God is when you remember, he forgives. And so when you made that commitment yesterday, years ago, whatever, and somehow you've you've forgotten what that means and you've kind of let that relationship slide or you've set it down or you've become contemptuous, all you need to do is pick up that commitment again. And God is right there waiting for you. He's not holding it against you because he loves you. And he's waiting for you to love him in return. 